Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. We hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk or our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast. So welcome to today's show. I'm going to be joined by Laurenus van den Worm, um, which is a Dutch surname and he is from South Africa. Um, and he works for a company called Timeline, um, which is a company, well, I'll let you I, I'll let you listen to the podcast, but it's the fastest growing model portfolio discretionary fund manager. That's an awful lot of jargon. Um, so a model portfolio discretionary fund manager, they basically get all the great ideas and they get lots of different um, information about different funds and they come up with a portfolio of funds to decide what one's the best. Um, so their goal is to help 10 million people retire with confidence in the UK. They aim to do this through a combination of low cost model portfolios, which they run on an evidence-based investment approach and technology-driven planning tools to help advisors explain con- complex financial issues to clients with a clear, understandable way. And they currently manage 2.5 billion of client assets. I love using timelines charts and we're gonna be talking to Laurenus today. He is an investment strategist at Timeline, comes from a wealth management background from South Africa. He started out as a chartered financial planner before moving to a more focused role in investment management. He holds a bachelor's degree in business science and a postgraduate diploma in financial planning from Stellenbosch University and is a registered CFA charter holder. So we're going to get chatting to Laurenus and I haven't even decided what to call today's show. Let me just take a moment to think about this. Is the stock market a good, good way to invest? I think it's as simple as that. It's helping people understand what's involved with the stock market. And we talk about volatility, the economy, and a little bit about returns and how the historic data that timeline have available to them affects uh, your investments. I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy today's show, please come back to me and let me know. If you do leave a review, again, get in touch, let me know what you've left me a review. Um, I always love to hear from people and um, enjoy today's show. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. You can say hello. Oh, hi, yes. Rebecca. Sorry, hi. I thought you were already starting <laughs> to, to, to speak with the audio, um, with, with the audience. No, hi. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I've, um, I normally record my introductions at the end, uh, so I probably threw you there. I'm really sorry. Um, so welcome. <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Um, obviously, you're originally from South Africa and you live in London. That's correct. And I asked you before if you're, you know, married, children, dogs, cats, and, and I should explain, um, is that... I happen to be married with, with two children, but um, I have a lot of animals. So I talk about animals oh, quite a lot on the show. So mm. I've got two dogs. I, unfortunately, I did lose one only four or five weeks ago, and then I mm. got a puppy. And I also have two cats, three rabbits, and two horses. Wow. Um, yeah, so <laughs> quite a lot. Mad. I'm crazy. And then I go and get a puppy. I get a bit of a break. That sounds awful. <laughs> My dog died. I don't mean it like that. But um, yeah. and I got a Hungarian Vizsla and it was a toss up between a Hungarian Vizsla and a Belgium Shepherd, which is 
what you were telling me you had when you was in South Africa. That's right, that's right. So, so the, the Belgian Shepherds is actually an interesting breed because you get different types of Belgian Shepherds. People often think of the Belgian Malinois, the military trained dogs that are hyper, hyper um, intelligent, hyper driven. So the one that we actually had was the longer, fluffy, it's called a, a Belgian Derfiren, which is more your also hyper energetic, but not as driven. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, they're gorgeous. Was, really, really uh, pretty. Yeah. I, I, I opted with the Vizsla because they had a short coat. Um, yeah. And I've got two longer head other dogs. I, well, I did. Um, and I just thought, no, I, I quite fancy a short coat. But they looked lovely. And the, the, the colourings that you can get in some of them with the yeah. patch. Yeah, beautiful. They are lovely. They are lovely. So do you think you'll get another one here? I know that your mum is now looking after your... Um, what was her name? Sorry, Macy. It is. It's yeah. English for lady. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, love that. It's actually so, it's, it's, it's you... Afrikaans for lady. Right, yeah. and so um, your mum's looking after her in in South Africa, but are that's you right. Get that's dog right. Here or not? So we'll we'll probably look at another pet sometime soon. So we we've been in the UK now for well almost two years. Um, unfortunately, where we stay, it's not pet friendly. So. Right. It will it will have to be a very big decision but no we we do miss we do miss our little girl a lot so we'll definitely look at some point to 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 get another bed well i have a couple of rabbits <laughs> nobody want to borrow <laughs> that's a um, good start <laughs> yeah i have a well, farm it's just i don't live in a farm it feels like a farm so you can just come over pet my pet and go home you haven't got all the stress I can imagine. Uh, this is not what we're meant to be talking about, but hey, that's that's what life's about, right? That's it's, it's, it's what life's about. Yeah, all kinds of things <laughs> going on. So you mean I could I, I've explained a little bit about what your job is, but um yeah. for sort of normal folk, what would your normal kind of week look like in the job that you do? So normal my normal line of business would be so I'm on in terms of timeline as a company, timeline as a very financial planning software driven business and then also the fund manager the where we are managing model portfolios which is just basically we create portfolios for financial advisors so actually the best way to describe what we are doing is one of our sales guys were asked by a lady the one day so what are you doing for a living and his reply was straightforward we sell investments to financial advisors and they love us. <laughs> so that was basically his explanation. But That's it. We Perfect. sell investments and my day-to-day -day business would be just to design these portfolios, manage these portfolios, um, talk with clients, a lot of calls with clients, prospective clients about what the markets are doing, how we can stay calm in the current atmosphere and the current market conditions etc so it's just all about looking at the data of what we are doing at timeline looking at what the markets have told us in the past and what's the message from the past that we can bring into the future to just sort of keep everybody calm brilliant which is exactly why i've invited you here today right because awesome what i mean i love timelines chance as a financial advisor i think your your tools over the last two years have been incredible so any of my clients that are listening um, you know those charts that I show you where I've got like there's different recession points and there's maybe um something <laughs> I don't know when you're gonna have a chart like when Liz Trust screwed up that point in like October but you should have that on your timeline charts 
um, you haven't currently, um, but there's sort of certain timeline points on, on the chart um, and you can then retrospect looks at a market. Usually it's like a FTSE 100 kind of market, yes. right? Um, of what's been going on in comparison to that that timeline. And it's a really great tool, I feel, for clients because it gives them a really good evidence-based historic data of what's happened over, well, like 120 years. Um, and it's brought such, I think, sort of um, calm, I think, and just, you know, like it's, it's going to be okay long-term um, and not to sort of throw the bath out with the, the baby out with the bath water um yeah. get the saying right um so I, that's why i really love you love what you guys do at timeline um and I'd, so what do you think based on the conversations that you've had with clients prospective clients over the last two years what do you think has changed any more than the past in just the last couple of years what changes have you seen the most i think that's a very interesting question because the more things become uncertain, the more uncertain people, the more people actually because it starts to panic about the future. And what we see in our charts is basically so. So what we try to do with our timeline charts is now the chart is actually just a very graphical expression of what we do at timeline. We use the raw data on our planning software to do actual financial planning. But that same data is being used to build our portfolios. We know the markets are going upwards over the long term. Um, so what are there or are there any specific events happening in the market or happened in the last 100 years that are dictating the trend? And you mentioned list trust, for example. So usually our timeline charts will start off by showing different political eras because people often think if my party is going to lose the next election, everything is going to go downhill from there. That's just their core belief and they can't see that the market doesn't really allow itself to be dictated by politics. Um, I, I, my camera just went out. That's okay, you carry on talking. It's fine. Go. I, it should be back up any second. But in any case, so what the charts are doing is it just shows you that it doesn't matter what your political or what political party is in control what prime minister is in control, the markets will eventually advance. Now, you mentioned list trust. That's usually the one starting point where we say, well, that's an anomaly. Let's not. <laughs> yeah, that was, we didn't that was give quite unusual. Any... And the reason I found that unusual, and you you can, you can might tell me different, but why, why I explain to clients is, is that normally an, a, a tax announcement is yeah. all, all the data, all the information about that tax and the changes that they're going to make come yeah. out over about six to eight weeks before yeah. and they're drip fed out to test the water and test the market so yeah. by the time it's actually released everybody already knows what it is no one actually listens to the announcement because we already know what it is we just wait for a summary afterwards it was the first one where we knew nothing the markets yeah. knew nothing the stockbrokers knew nothing the banks knew nothing the economists knew nothing like nobody knew yeah. anything and that completely created this a huge unconfidence in the UK government yeah. by the way they actually, not what, what she released, but actually the way she did it. Is that my impression? Am I yeah. right? You are 100% right. And I think there's so many examples of that in the in the world out there. The, the UK just had a brief experience of that. If you take something, usually a great example that I would use is the Chinese eco economy. 
people will often say the Chinese um, economy or the, the the Chinese government are so radical in their laws that they are for what was about two, three years ago when they clamped down on um, online education and gaming. And it was just all of a sudden one law, no more online gaming for a certain amount of hours. Um, online education was clamped down. And if you think about it, it's not the law that's so radical. It's the way that it's being implemented. So the Chinese government obviously doesn't give you a lot of transparency. They will come to the market and say, this is the new rule, law. It's in effect today. Where in the UK, they will drip, drip feed you with a bill. It will be up for discussion. You know it's coming. The market's going to adapt to it. And then as soon as it's being implemented, the market has already priced in the full effect. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened last year as well. The markets were just not expecting things like basically economic stimulus in, a, in an era where we actually had to, to sort of constrain the economy just to get control over inflation. But And then there were some things that's just not, that were just not realistic or didn't have a good rationale. For example, removing the bonus cap of investment bankers during an inflationary period. I get that you have to help the people in need, but I wouldn't say that your investment bankers are necessarily your people most in need. <laughs> so it's sort of these questions that people had that they couldn't just fit the links with how are you going to help people and then just make some extreme events available. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting. And you had the question about what can people expect in the next few years? I think what we do at Timeline is we look at... Oh, my camera is now playing up with That's me. Okay. You carry on. On the podcast, they can't see you anyway. It's only on my YouTube. So I'm not. That's amazing. Carry on. At least the, the mic shouldn't play up. The mic should still work. So no, Mark, Mark, I can hear you. You're fine. That's great. So at, when people ask us about the future, I think the one thing that we are quite clear about is we've seen some extreme events in the past. And um, you can think of your most extreme events. People often think of your 1920s. Um, World War One, the Great Depression just after that. I think those times were so bad that people were actually, I usually joke about, it's not actually a joke, but people were more concerned about growing vegetables in their back garden than the stock market returns. That's oh, how imagine, yeah, yeah. we are nowhere near that, uh, that type of events. The recession of the 1970s were the worst recession ever. We haven't seen that. People often think the only recession that's in our recent memory is the COVID pandemic, maybe the 08 financial crisis, but the COVID pandemic, people thought the world was going to end. And if you go on our timeline charts, for example, you can't see the bear market of the COVID pandemic. It lasted a full three months. Um, so I think we've seen so many things and people say, well, the world is going to change um, with the quantitative easing in effect. Well, we've seen quantitative easing now for 15 years. If you think back about in, in the 70s, We've seen the gold standard, standard being demolished, people accepting fiat currencies, something that's just thin air. And the world was fine. So I think if you look at what actually happened over the last 100 years, you really need to go very drastic to expect something worse. What does the data, I mean, I mean, I, I, what happened in the pandemic, if you look at on your timeline chart, it's just so insignificant in comparison to what's happened in the past. And I explained to clients that, your, your your money is still making money even though it might your share price might be down 
you yeah. are still buying units it, like if you're making monthly monthly contributions your units that you owe are still there it's just yeah. that the unit price has gone down so when it does bounce back up to maybe pre five six years ago um you you you, you know it's not like you've lost lost that money it will come yeah. back um so what do you think that you know that that previous data what i seem to notice in the charts that there was 10 10 or 15 years cyclicals where there there is this drop but the last one we had like that and i'm just trying to think back on your charts but um was probably the the, the ukraine um yeah. the, the most the main one but that wasn't really a economical drop and you can't really say covid was a economical drop so are, we, are you now predicting that we, we're now going to go in recession and there is going to be a drop or are we saying that actually things have changed because of what's happened over the last few years? So I think a few things that we can predict with a relatively high confidence is that there will be another bear market. There will be another recession. I think we've seen that. I think that's, we're not going to, uh, we were quite surprised the fact that you can get through the COVID bear market in just three months. That was not expected. Um, so I think, yes, a, a new bear market will come at some point. But another thing that we've also seen is you can't predict it with certainty. And what we've seen is significant bull markets just before and just after bear markets. So trying to time these bear markets, that's where I think that's the most dangerous part. So I, I think what it comes down to is people should accept you. There's a certain risk that you need to accept if you want to grow to, to if you want your portfolio to grow faster than inflation if you don't want to destroy your purchasing power there's a certain amount of risk that you need to accept and a large part of that risk is just market risk market risk or systematic risk as the clever people will refer to it is something that you can't diversify away um, so you can diversify away from idiosyncratic risks for example don't have an overexposure to any one country um, diversify globally or any one stock choose as many securities as possible in your portfolio diversify over different securities over different asset classes fixed income equity etc but the one thing you cannot diversify away is your market risk your market risk captures bear markets and i think people need to accept that that's my risk and then they need to look at the data or our timeline charts would be a great source for example just look at the chart what is going to happen or what can I expect during these bear markets and just have a realistic framework of this is the sort of wave that I just have to sit through. And after that, you can expect a much stronger bear market or a much stronger bull market. And I think that's sort of what we're trying to do with our job. So just so glad to show clients another bear market is probably coming. You can't time it. And after that bear market, there will be a much stronger bull market. So what sort, what sort of, time do you, they say every 10 years don't they it's difficult it's difficult to um there's been studies and revelations of people claiming in the 1800s already that the bear market comes at every specific intervals if you actually look at the data it's not set in stone um so we've seen for example if you take the 50s we've had two bear markets in the 50s one in the 60s the 70s was the worst bear market just before the worst bear market we had another relatively strong bear market five years before then. And then from the 70s, we had no bear market until the early 90s. 
with the dot-com bubble. Dot, dot, well, not early 90s, late 90s, 2000, with the dot-com bubble. And then you had seven years and you had the GFC, the Great Financial Crisis. And then we had from 2009, nothing until the COVID pandemic. And, and it's, it's, it's difficult to say that, um, so we don't see any pattern in when a bear market would be. I think the thing about a bear market is we should note that a bear market is being defined as a drop of 20% in your, um, in, your, in your equity market over a period of at least two months. So that's your technical definition of a bear market. Yes, there could have been a drop of 19% and it wouldn't have been defined as a bear market. But um, bear markets are coming. And I think to say every seven to 10 years, you can expect a bear market. I think that's reasonable. That's completely reasonable. And so at the moment, obviously, putting Ukraine aside from last year and the Liz Trust incident, um, we've seen a lot of volatility last year what are you seeing now in this year um this year we're seeing a bit more stability um i wouldn't say less volatility than usually um, i think we've got so used to just crazy markets out there for the last three years that all of a sudden this year feels like a very smooth ride we actually still have a very, very lot of volatility, very, very much volatility in the markets. I think if you think of something like your VIX index, your VIX index used to be around 17%. That's just an index measuring your volatility, your VIX stands for volatility index. Um, an average would be around 17, I believe. It's currently, we haven't seen those levels um, stabilizing around 17. So you do still have a lot of volatility. Rates are still increasing. People don't know when we are actually going to see inflation rates come down. So we expect inflation rates to come down more persistently. So we've seen two quarters now where the inflation rate will come into, has come down. But then in the US last week, inflation actually went up again. So it's all of these questions, what can actually happen? And it's all based on expectations. And it's these expectations that are still all over the place and it's causing volatility. Whether it's going to cause a massive drawdown, I don't think so. I think even events like we've seen the financial crisis in March this year, I think people were really over-exaggerating. They were really, there's a lot of fear in the market. So small things are triggering a lot of investors. And it usually makes me think about um, the intelligent investor, um, Benjamin Graham, that wrote the intelligent, intelligent investor. And he often said that it's the, or he said in his book, he referred to it as the pendulum of sentiment, of investor sentiment. And that's what you refer to as well when you talk to your clients. The unit price may be down, but you're still invested in real profit-making companies. Yeah. In that one unit price that you're seeing, you still have your Apple, your Microsoft, your Tesla. Your, it's great companies all making a lot of profits, and you are a shareholder of that company. So just by seeing a price dip doesn't mean that companies are going down. Um, yeah. So I think that gives investors quite a lot of um comfort if they know that they are invested in these companies it's not just a fairy tale number made up and called a unit price yeah and, and you talk about diversity and you know you know my clients that they're all in sort of multi-asset different sort of funds um so they're not um you know pulled in just the uk unless they're very low risk which they tend not to have a lot of equities then anyway um yeah. but they are yeah you could be talking oh the, the global you know, Asia, Japan, they're all, all over the place. 
Um, and we've just got so many moving parts in the world at the moment, right? You, you can't, I mean, there's no, there's no way to predict what's going to happen. But what we do know is that generally speaking, if you've got a ruler and you took a 20, 30 year step back on an investment strategy and you put, right, that's your starting point and you put a ruler on that piece of paper, the, the, the ruler would be going in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, but I do have a lot of clients at the moment who are just becoming a little bit nervous, I think, because they COVID wasn't really too much of a problem. So 20 going into 2021 wasn't too much of a problem. By the end of that year, they might have panicked in COVID, yeah. but they stuck with it and they took the advice and they and they were happy with it. You know, they come out of 2021 actually going, oh, wow, actually, that was that was all right. Yeah. Um, and then going into sort of 2022, we had, you know, we had a terrible year. My, all financial advisors I speak to, I don't know anyone that had a good year yeah. last year, as in 2022. Um, yeah. And so when I've got annual reviews that are now, they've had last year's review and they're now having this year's review. Um, and they're, the returns I would probably say are around, say from August to August, as we're recording this in August, maybe two, two or three yeah. percent. I, I wouldn't say they're much more than that. Um, and a couple are minus one, minus yeah. two, because of the what happened with Liz Trust and the volatility we saw running into the end of last year. So they're yeah, getting it's... nervous because they're yeah. not just on one year, they're now into second year. Yeah. Um, so what sort of, what would you say to people like that if you were talking to them yourself? It's a, it's a few good points that you made there, Rebecca, and I think the sad part of it all is usually the investors that we now have, with, well, all of them have suboptimal returns, if you can, if you refer to long, if you measure it relative to long-term averages. But I think the sad thing is your people with the worst returns at this current time over the last one year is your more conservative investors, the ones that has much more exposure to fixed income, I know a lot of asset managers or um, advisors like to um, add real estate as a separate line item for defensive portfolios. Um, that's usually uh, another reason why these conservative investors are down because real estate didn't do very well because of the exposure to interest rate risk. Fixed income have done horrible, especially after the summer of last year. Um, and that was supposed to be your stabilizing the portfolio and then equities your people more evaluated on equities, they are actually okay with taking on these one or two year risks, but they are the ones that are now seeing a six to 8% return over the last year. And um, that's the difficult part. So how do you explain to a client that your portfolio was actually defensive, but you are still down in the, you're still in the negatives over the last one to two years. And I think it's important to 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 show them where the areas of underperformance are lying and to show them that the underperformance is not necessarily bad investment choices. Bad investment choices would be concentrated positions, irresponsible positions on, let's say, let's take extreme examples, cryptocurrency. Um, that would have been a concern and I would agree with the investor, then you should be worried. But if you see your portfolio down minus 2% over a two-year period now, um, and it was just the market that was not in favor, I think that should sort of create some somewhat of an optimism because we know that these prolonged periods of underperformance doesn't persist. And what we also know is the stronger the downturn, the, 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 the worse the 
cycle was, the stronger the bear, the, the bull market is that's following. And yeah, I think that's yeah. something that investors just should be should should be um, trained on. That they should know that these cycles you just need to sit through it. You will have your bear, your your bull market after this down markets, and that will be relatively strong bull markets, I believe, given the the last one two years because asset prices are actually quite attractive. Um, and I think that's, that's also time to invest, right. I think it's a good time to invest. I think people would read the the FT and it will be all about how expensive assets are. These media outlets are selling fear. And I think that's my biggest issue with the media in general. Oh, don't asset get me prices, started on that one. Yeah. Asset, yeah. Asset prices are not expensive. If you take property, fixed income, even equities, they are not expensive at all. There's six large companies carrying us at this time. They are expensive, yes. But they are carrying us while all the other companies, if you take your um, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, they are actually carrying the investment world this year while the other companies are struggling a bit. Mm -hmm. The other companies, the other 5,000 securities in your portfolio are well-valued securities. You don't want to sell out of these large big companies because they can carry on for quite a significant time into the future. And you've got a lot of value companies now in your portfolio that are so attractive. So I think we should just sell this optimism that is coming. And I think we are can be relatively confident that they will these better times will come. Um, and this is the wet interest rates for a second, because I think that's the that's the current doom and gloom in the UK, uh, yeah. where people won't invest. They're going to hold on to their cash because they're getting a good interest rate, not necessarily with their bank, but they could put it into a, a relatively, you know, maybe a notice account or a bond of yeah. some kind get maybe five or 6%. So why take risk with it when they could get a good interest rate? Or yeah. they're thinking, well, my mortgage is going to be coming up. Maybe I should make a lump sum and clear my mortgage down. And, um, you know, then we've got this volatility that we're seeing and the price, you know, that a lot of my investors are, are new to investing. So they're not, you know, they, they weren't, weren't inheriting at five years old, yeah. a million pounds kind of thing and gone to Oxford. Um, and there's nothing wrong with going to Oxford, by the way. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. very jealous. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have the opportunity to do that myself. Um, but what I mean is that they they inherit money maybe from a great aunt in their maybe in their thirties or their forties or their executive level kind of either business owners or working for companies, maybe um, sort of quite senior doctors that that you know educated people, but they're new to investing. They're new to financial yeah. planning. They haven't. I mean, I'm I'm talking about people that. Some of them have done investing, but they've just, they feel like they've ticked a box. They've not really done it. They've not planned it. They just happened upon having some kind of portfolio and it's happened, yeah. happened to have gone about that way. Um, so, but those that are very new to it, they, they will very much be sitting on their cash, riding it out and waiting to see what happens. Now, so when we've had these high interest rate yeah. situations in the past, as a sort of a rough, rough idea from the data that you've got a timeline you've got a high interest rate market and a high high inflation yeah when was that when did when when was the last time in the uk we had a situation like that would that have been in the 80s yes so early 80s 70s we've had times where the where we had high inflation in the 90s um late 90s we also have been through a period where inflation was quite high interest rates were quite high if you take the long term, um, the average inflation rate in the UK over the long term, and I think we would be quite surprised because of the last 
what's it now, 15 years, we, we, we got used to inflation being 0%. The long-term average, even though the, the, the Central Reserve or the, or the Bank of England is targeting a rate of 2%, that's not the long-term average. The long-term average is actually 4% um, that we've seen in the UK. And we've seen periods where inflation was, I think, up to, I, I think it was north of 20%, if I'm not mistaken, maybe yeah. just north of 20%. And we've seen rates go much higher than they are, they are currently. So yeah. it's it's not a unique scenario. It's it's a, it's a new scenario in our generation. But the mar- what were the markets doing at that point? Because if I remember rightly, on one of one of those, it didn't even affect the markets. The markets just didn't even move. It carried on being like a, in a in a in a uh, bull market, and it carried on absolutely smashing it. <laughs> Yeah, you are right. You are right. So the thing about inflation is it's very difficult. You can you can very easily quantify the effect of inflation or interest rates more specifically on fixed income, because fixed income is a stable asset that's as stable um, cash flows that you are pricing in at a certain rate. So as the rates are up, the value of these fixed income assets will come down. Um, market. Short term, short term, yes. So as the rates go up, the price of these assets will go down. As rates goes down, the price of these assets will go up. And they, are, I want to say, expectations, as expectations of rates, because people often think, well, rates are going to come down now. Why should we um, not buy more fixed income? Or you knew inflation is starting, you knew rates were going to go up. Why didn't you sell out of fixed income? It's all about expectations. In January of this year, people told us that we were going to see our first rate drop towards the end of this year. We're not going to see rates dropping towards the end of this year because inflation proved to be a bit more sticky. Um, but on the equity side, it's all about companies. It's all about what are these companies doing? If there's inflation and the companies have the power to 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 flow there or, or to push the inflation effects through with its price, um, the companies can actually grow more than during low inflation environment. So a high inflation environment can create economic growth. It can create growth for companies. Um, usually what will happen, they will, without a doubt, be companies that are struggling. But um, so just a brief background of my um, background in South Africa, uh, the South African inflation rate you are lucky if you can get it below 6%. We are actually targeting a rate in South Africa of between 4 and 6%. Um, I haven't seen a 6% rate for a long time until COVID. And um, so it was actually an environment where people just got used to an 8% inflation figure. The JSE stock market has done extremely well over the last, call it 50 years, compared to the general global economy out there. And fixed income is just so attractive. You can get 13% on a South African bond. Wow. <laughs> you can get on a, on a cash instrument. When I left um, South Africa and came to the UK two years ago, cash would actually give you 7%. Wow. Uh, and that was at a time when rates were rock bottom. So people shouldn't think as high rates, high inflation as um, a All do- bad. All sitting and don't make, no, don't make decisions, right? Yeah, it can definitely create growth. It can stimulate the economy. It's definitely not good over the long term. And I think inflation are, without a doubt, our worst enemy out there because it erodes your value of all your savings. But it can stimulate growth. And I think that's something that we actually need it to a certain extent. It's now time to get it under control. But for we've had how many years of no inflation, zero interest rates, and it was just 
stagnating global economies. So when's the next um, data being released? Uh, we're like mid-August. This will be released in September. Um, so it was January, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. So it won't be until October, right, that we get the next sort of quarterly review in terms of inflation. Yes, it should be in October, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, so the last one, core inflation hadn't gone down, but the cost of gas, electric, yeah. etc., had come down. Yeah. And um, what are you? Any predictions? So the predictions, it's it's very difficult. So obviously, you have to cyclically adjust adjust for your inflation because obviously we've just been through our summer months. People were spending a lot of money. Prices will naturally go up. Um, if you just think about anyone that have traveled during the school holidays, it's expensive to do, to fly just the, the the price of adding luggage to your flights it's it's ridiculous oh, don't, right? even, don't ryanair ryanair oh my god it's, i've got two children that have, she has to have flight. a swimming costume for every day so a yeah. different one for every day um yeah so yes i know that pain very much yeah so so, so you have to cyclically adjust for that and then again things like food prices it's all cyclically adjusted because you would get times where Especially in your, if you if you think about your 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 agricultural um, industries, there are certain times windows in the market we just don't have enough supply and prices will spike. So I think if you average out everything and if you cyclically adjust everything, I think um, core inflation is coming down. I think what's going to be a little bit more sticky is. One, wages. Um, wage inflation has started to peak. That's the most difficult one to turn around. How do you turn around wage inflation? Because if that gets momentum, everybody wants their share of the pie. And if it, what we should stop before it gets out of control is that specific wage inflation. So let's pay people their fair share, but let's get this inflation part under control from, from wages. The other thing is energy. Um, as we move into the winter, energy prices can spike again. Um, and those two things, I think, will keep inflation a little bit more or, or will make inflation a little bit more sticky. It's also yeah. important to remember, if you take one year ago, energy prices were extremely high. I think oil was, was the hundred and what, $130 a barrel. Don't, don't quote me on those numbers, but it was way north of 100 and it was extremely high now we're sitting at last time i checked it was about 75 dollars a barrel um so we you are working with a very lower base rate so naturally energy will push inflation down because you've got this very high base rate it's coming down lower but we will go into an era again where the base rate is becoming low and oil prices has gone up since again so energy might spike inflation a little bit again as we go into the winter but i think generally Inflation will come under control. I don't think the two percent levels is coming very anytime soon. No. Four or five percent inflation, we'll get there, and then it will be quite difficult. But then we just need to get um, to those last few, and it, and it will all comes down. It will, and it's a sad thing to say, but it will all come down to how much the economy is struggling. The more the yeah. economy is struggling, the quicker we will get inflation down. So we just hope we can get inflation down without a really hard recession. So do you want to explain quantitative easing? <laughs> can you, can you, it's almost like, can you explain the offside role in football? Um, I feel, but the financial services version of it. So <laughs> quantitative easing is an, is a very interesting scenario. So quantitative easing, it's 
the, the easiest way to explain it in layman's term is the increase of your money supply. How much cash are there out in the world? Let's just increase it. Money is not um, linked to the gold standard anymore. So you can create as much money as you want to, to create. And what they've discovered after the global financial crisis is by increasing your money supply, you are not necessarily devaluing your money. So Economics 101 will tell you if you just double your money supply, your valuation of your currency is going to halt. But what we've seen is, well, there's some reserve currencies in the world, the dollar, the yen, the sterling, the euro. These countries can increase their money supply because there's a global demand for these fiat currencies. So maybe by pushing a lot of money into the economy, we can stimulate growth. And they've seen, well, looks like we can stimulate growth without causing inflation. And they thought, well, how great is that? <laughs> we can just print money without causing inflation. They were actually trying to get inflation. So rates were at basically 0%. Um, they were increasing money supply with a factor and inflation was still at zero. So they were actually, and that's a, it's also something to note. High inflation and the 0% inflation are equally bad. We don't want 0% inflation. We also don't want high inflation. You need this 2 to 3% inflation in your developed markets. You need 4 to 6% inflation in your emerging markets. So countries were basically trying to simulate inflation, to, to, to get inflation with quantitative easing. And that's where we've seen low rates not working, QE is not working. And then they went for what I like to refer to the nuclear option the thing that will definitely get money out of the savings accounts and into the economy, and that's negative rates. People, the banks actually giving you a negative rate on your savings. <laughs> Why would anyone invest? So obviously you have to put your money in the economy and still it didn't force people to, or, or, or it didn't force people to invest in the economy. So it didn't force the economy to grow. And it really took somebody like, or something like COVID to really reset the economy. And I think we, we have seen very much of a reset. I think we will go to the long-term average again. So just my ending question, and I'd love to thank you, just to thank you for your time today. Last question. So if you had a client who had a, I would call like a balanced portfolio, so maybe top end 60, 70% equities, yep. um, over a 10 year period, um, you know, so from a volatility perspective that, you know, it quite easy at some point expect maybe up to 15 to 20% losses, maybe not much more than that though. So someone's like just not yeah. quite hard, hardcore, but in the middle, um, what kind of returns over a 10 year period before costs, before inflation, do you think from timelines data, do you know how much they'd have to expect? So I can tell you in terms of timelines data, a let's call it a 70% equity portfolio, 30% fixed income, globally diversified, no concentrated positions. You should expect on average a nominal return of 10 point, exactly 10.41% per exactly. year. Per year, thank you. Per year, 10.41% per year. After inflation, if inflation normalizes, again, you're looking at 5%, you're looking at CPI plus 5%. Your volatility that you can expect based on the historical data is about 13%. Um, so just to, 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 to put it in 
layman's terms, volatility, 13.7%. You can expect your investment to fluctuate by 13.7%. Volatility is nothing else as a standard deviation. But then also over a 10-year period, um, what I can say is your worst case scenario um, in history, in annualized terms, over a 10-year period was minus 4% per year. That's your worst case scenario. Best case scenario is 17% per year, and that's all after inflation. Yeah. If you put that in cumulative terms, best case scenario over a 10-year period, you can actually, you can look at 380% return. That's what we've seen over the last 100 years. Worst case scenario, you're looking at about the minus 34% after inflation. So it is possible that after inflation, you are still negative in, um, in, in terms of purchasing power. If you look at nominal terms, you won't be over a 10-year period in negative terms. We actually you, we can expect to you have a high confidence that you will be positive. And so I anyone think that was been investing, uh, you know, in the last two, three years, there it's such an early stage, right? It's such an early point in their investment strategy because you just we're just on a ten-year example, and at one point it was minus four. Yeah. You, and data shows over a long period of time that you know what, what did you say three hundred and something percent. Yeah. So um, it's all about you can't time the market. So that's an important point to make. You can't time the market. And what are we've we've recently done a research piece about, and I and I think we often say active managers or concentrated managers are destroying value because they just can't predict what stock is going to outperform next. And I think to a large extent, that's not true. I think to a large extent, the most value is being destroyed because people are not in the market. And what you see is if you take, so we've done we've done a study where we looked at what would your effect on your portfolio be if you just missed the best five trading days over the last 10 years, the best 10 trading days over the last 10 years. And um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it is shocking. You can... If you miss the best 10 trading days um, in the last 10 years, not per year, 10 out of the total 10 years, you can probably expect to halve your investment returns by just missing 10 days. So that's why it's so important to just stay in the market, get through these bad periods. And another thing is when you look at your best trading days, it's usually just after your worst trading days. <laughs> yeah. Exactly yeah, when okay. you sell out, that's when you shouldn't sell out. So um, investing is always about investing money that you can afford to invest in the first place. It's something that you don't, you know, don't need the money immediately. It is a long-term investment. So five years at least plus. So pensions, you know, uh, I've got a, a couple at the moment that I'm talking to. They're talking about their children going to university. They're all below the age of six. Um, you know, investing correctly for their children will mean that they could quite comfortably send their children to very good universities. And then that money's saved, it's ready, it's there, and it's at least then growing over about a 12, 12 to 13 year period. So um, it, it, it's, not, it's not right for everybody, right? Um, but those that are able and have the spare monthly or cash to do so, based on timelines data, it's, a, it's still a good time to invest. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the one thing that you should, should just distinguish between is investing and speculating. You should invest. Investing is buy a company that are making 
um, profits. So if you just buy the market index, it's filled with companies that are making a lot of profits. So buy these companies and become a shareholder in these companies. By speculating, you've got no emotional attachment to these companies. You're just trying to exploit value. And we've seen the evidence most of the time you are getting it wrong. Um, so just invest, stay in the market, stay disciplined, and that's going to provide the best outcome. We've seen that time and time again. Brilliant. I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I'm looking to see, um, looking maybe for a dog picture on LinkedIn at some point in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. If not, the offer is still there to come and, um, I don't know, I've got, if your wife likes rabbits, I've got it's three. a rabbit or two. <laughs> yeah, I've got a spare animal or two just to share around. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Rebecca. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Accelerate Your Wealth. For further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. Our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on pensions, investments, mortgages, insurances on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast.